A15, so Russia's largest military drill in recent history, business deals worth $42 billion. The Eastern Economic Forum in Vladivostok made quite a statement over three days last week. North Korean Chairman Kim Jong-un didn't ultimately accept his invitation to attend, but inter-Korean affairs still featured as Chinese leader Xi Jinping said the end of Korean War declaration process should be handled by Seoul, Pyongyang and Washington, leaving China out. I mean, just so many different angles to cover. Let's see how far we can get with Professor James Brown of the International Affairs Department at Temple University in Japan. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. So the North Korean leader, as I said, wasn't there. Neither was South Korea's leader, President Moon Jae-in, although we did have Prime Minister Lee Nak-yeon there. Given that we have the inter-Korean summit this week, perhaps that's understandable. There should be some focus from Seoul and Pyongyang elsewhere. But what was the major significance of this year's Eastern Economic Forum? Well, the the Russian side has worked very hard to promote this forum into really uh, the the premier kind of economic and political forum uh, in Northeast Asia, and it's now in its fourth year. Uh, it's become bigger and bigger each time. And this year, the real significance was uh, the Russia-China relationship. That's what received all of the attention with uh, President Xi attending for the first time. Uh, in previous years, we've had the, the Korean president, we've had Prime Minister Abe, who's been the most regular visitor. But um, the Russians will see it as a major success having President Xi attend for the first time this year. Could have been even more sensational, though, couldn't it if Chairman Kim had been there? Is it a problem for the Russia-North Korea relationship that he didn't accept the invitation, given how diplomatic he seems well, to I become? D- mm. I, I, I don't think it um, will be seen as that much of a setback because uh, Kim Jong-un does not really travel overseas very often. The, that's you know, obviously what made the, the Singapore meeting so extraordinary. Um, they invited him. They were hopeful that he would attend. But I think there was always a recognition from the Russian side that it was a bit of a long shot. Uh, despite that, North Korea was very much a focus of the talks at the Eastern Economic Forum, uh, with in particular a lot of discussion about the potential for trans-peninsula uh, uh, projects involving uh, Russia, North Korea, and South Korea. If uh, you know peace, uh, the peace process continues. We're all so entangled. It's difficult to talk about any issue for very long without eventually getting into some of these bigger issues. Uh, and to get on to another one of them, what we saw with Russia and Japan highlighted was quite interesting. President Vladimir Putin uh, suggesting ending a decades-long dispute with Tokyo over the sovereignty of four islands known as the Northern Territories in Japan and the Southern Kurils in Russia. Can you tell us a bit more about the history of that dispute and, and how it's become so relevant now? Certainly. Well, uh, from the Japanese point of view, that was the real bombshell at the Eastern Economic Forum relating to this territorial dispute. So this is uh, in relation to uh, to four islands uh, off the coast of, of Hokkaido. Uh, they became Japanese territory in 1855. Uh, but um, at the end of the Second World War, with the Soviet Union entering that conflict right at the very end in August 1945, uh, the islands were, were occupied by Soviet forces and they've been held 
under the control of Moscow ever since. And that's been the major point of contention between the two sides, with uh, Russia saying these islands legitimately became ours as a result of World War II, and Japan pointing back to that uh, original agreement in 1855 and saying, no, in a peaceful agreement between our two sides, when we agreed originally where our border would be, uh, we decided that those islands would be ours. So that's the, the basic history of the dispute. But why is President Putin suggesting a breakthrough now? Well, um, if you believe what, what he said, that on stage, the plenary session at the, at the forum, he said, oh, this idea has just come into my head now. I think that that is very uh, difficult to, to believe. I think that this was uh, a political tactic by, by Putin. Uh, for a start, it draws attention to the Eastern Economic Forum. Um, ensuring that it gets in the headlines throughout the world. It's also good PR for the Russian leader himself by declaring himself in favor of unconditional peace. Uh, that looks very good. Um, in actual fact, um, it's not nearly such a kind of generous offer as it appears. And in some ways, it might actually be a way of placing pressure on the Japanese side uh, to encourage them uh, to offer more economic incentives um, because uh, otherwise the suggestion is uh, the Russian side is not really going to take Japan's position on this territorial uh, dispute. Uh, they're not going to take it into account too seriously. Well, Japan's reaction, as you've uh, implied, sceptical. Uh, Chief Cabinet Secretary Yoshihide Suga saying Putin's comment came out of thin air. No similar suggestion brought up during the Abe-Putin bilateral talks that preceded the economic forum that were described as as candid. Um, Japan is playing such an interesting role. On the one hand, very close to the United States. On the other, seeking, it seems, talks with North Korea, staying close to Russia. How would you characterize Tokyo's foreign policy in the region? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, firstly, narrowly on that peace treaty uh, issue, why was it that they were so negative about it? The reason is because uh, Putin's proposal uh, marks no change whatsoever in Russia's position. The reason why there is no peace treaty between the two sides is because of uh, Japan's insistence that it will not sign a peace treaty until after the territorial dispute has been solved. So when Putin says, let's sign a peace treaty before the end of the year with no preconditions, essentially that amounts to the Russian side saying to Japan, well, you know, we think you should give up on your territorial claims. So that's why it's being received so negatively within Japan. Also, the way it was done, they had their bilateral meeting on Monday. It wasn't mentioned at all. And then a few days later, can Putin uh, announce this in public? So that's, that's why the Japanese have been so negative about it. More broadly about Japan's uh, foreign policy in the region, uh, I suppose to characterize it in, in brief, it's still very much about prioritizing the United States more than anything else. But their major concern is uh, China's rise and also North Korea. And in that context, by building closer relations uh, by Russia, they're hopeful that they can enlist Russia's support in dealing with uh, both China uh, and North Korea. What about the suggested summit from the Japanese side with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un? The, the North sometimes shows some willingness, but the state-run media is filled every few days with some sort of comment or series of comments against Japan. 
Mm-hmm. Well, Japan was placed in a very difficult position from the United uh, by the United States that uh, Japan was always the most enthusiastic supporter of maximum pressure and was not in favor of of talks until issues related to denuclearization, missiles and abductees uh, were dealt with. But then the United States changed its position and uh, Donald Trump went forward with the Singapore summit. So that forced Japan to moderate its stance. It uh, became necessary for Abe to stop entirely ruling out talks uh, with North Korea. And he's now adopted the position of, in theory, being in favor of a meeting with Kim Jong-un, but only if certain preconditions uh, are met. So I think overall, Japan remains very, very uh, negative about this process. Uh, They don't believe it's going to work. And in a sense, uh, I think they're preparing for uh, what happens next when they believe that uh, the the talks between the U.S. and North Korea will fully break down and there will be a return to the maximum pressure policy. Prime Minister Abe is widely expected to win the leadership race of his party set for this Thursday. So the world is going to have to keep dealing with him. Is he likely to carry on as he has been or would another term signal any kind of shift? All of the indications are that it's going to be a continuation. Um, We've seen that uh, in Russia policy, Abe has been very enthusiastic uh, in continuing ties with Russia. There are some in Japan who are now calling for that policy to end after Putin's um, suggestion about the unconditional kind of peace offer. But Abe has already said quite clearly, no, I think that this policy needs to continue. Uh, I think it is working. We just need to continue to engage with the Russian leadership. Uh, with China also, um, Abe uh, is seen as a very controversial figure uh, for many on the, the Chinese side, but he's he's been in favor of a rapprochement of closer ties. And in October, um, he's expected to, to travel to China and he will continue with his agenda of improving ties there. And uh, the same applies with both uh, South and North Korea. So I think over the next three years, it's going to be very much more of the same. Uh, he will also uh, push forward with his goals of constitutional revision, mm. uh, including uh, revision to Article 9. Uh, that's obviously going to be controversial in the region because many Uh, believe that that is a step um, with Japan perhaps returning to being uh, a more normal uh, kind of power in the region with the the potential to um, uh, engage in uh, military conflicts. Professor Brown, thank you for joining us today. A pleasure. Thank you.